0: Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at conversationswithdwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at conversationswithdwyer.com. At gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Now, how about we enjoy this latest episode of Conversations with Dwyer? You better
1: lay my, my search,
0: Welcome to Conversation with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast and that, speaking of music, that song that played me in is Shirt Jack Train number three and that's by the John Spencer's, John Spencer Blues Explosion. Couldn't, that was a, tongue, it's a slight tongue twister for me who's been doing a lot of recording with my voice so my, my tongue and cheeks are tired. <laughs> but, uh, that's the John Spencer Blues Explosion And he is not my guest today, but my guest today is Larry Hardy, who put that song and that album out and uh, many others. He is the owner and operator of In The Red Records, which is one of my favorite labels. And I've had so many musicians on here, and I thought it would be cool to just switch it up a little bit and talk to a guy who runs a really great label, who's put out so many Kid Congo, uh, Ty Seagal, The O.C.'s, uh, I... Alice Bag, like, the list is so long, and all that stuff is in the show notes, so you could just go and look, and Larry talks about it, so you don't really need me to keep listening and listing uh, to me, ramble on about who he's put out, it's an incredible, and it's also in the show notes, but um, he's, it's an incredible label, one of my favorites, and, uh, you know, he built it from from nothing. And now it's been around for 30 years and he's been putting, continuing just to put out great, 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 great music. So, and I know Larry, I used to work at a restaurant in Eagle Rock and Larry, uh, had something to do with the, I think he was part of the owners, part part of the owners, part owner. And, uh, he would bring in bands and I was just some schmuck slapping mayonnaise on bread and turkey on top of the mayonnaise And uh, he would bring in cool bands and whatnot. But uh, so I've known Larry for a while and uh, I've always respected what he did. And he's always been cool. And it's a real honor to get to talk to him for an extended period of time. And uh, if you're starting a a label of your own or if you're thinking about it, Larry's got some tips for you. And uh, I think that's, uh, like I said, all things uh, in the red. I'll put all their stuff in the show notes. Go peruse their website. Go buy some vinyl and speaking of show notes, all things Matt Dwyer there. You can go to the mattdwyer.com. That's a great jumping-off point for all things, like, uh, for me. And uh, in the, and you can become a Patreon subscriber, because on my Patreon, subscribers get bonus material, often video versions of our conversations, which will be the full, you know, if it's a two-parter, you get the full thing. Um, I'm also doing a podcast that solely lives on my Insta- or on my Patreon it's uh, And it's me talking to comedians and uh, about music, and uh, it's a lot of fun. A lot of laughs. This has got a lot of laughs. Larry Hardy and I had a good time talking. Uh, and also check out my Instagram, because if you like In the Red Records, and you're here because you're a fan of In the Red Records, well, guess what? I've had some of their artists on the show. I had Kid Congo on. I had Ryan Samball from The Strange Boys. And Ryan Sambol's new album, Gestalt, is really great. He's got a solo album that I highly suggest you check out. And that being said, enough of my zimzam babbly babble. Uh, I've been doing podcasting stuff since the very early morning of today. So I'm, the brain is a little shot. But I appreciate you hanging in there for this intro. And please enjoy my conversation with Larry Hardy. <laughs> Is your, your label's over 25 years now?
1: Yeah, yeah, almost, it's 30 this summer
0: yeah. Holy shit, that's crazy
1: I know, tell me about it, that's, no one's more surprised than me
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I was at Danny m that was almost 20 years ago, just about, so that's I uh, I know maybe, I don't know if the pandemic is still, do you have plans for a big 30 year thing?
1: No, we talked about it. We did a 25 year one and, uh, that was kind of, uh, you know, went really well. It was a big thing, but it's like planning events is not my, not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, just, it was more work than I wanted to deal with. Um, I mean it was fun I'm glad I did it after it was done but it was a bit stressful and you know organizing a bunch of bands coming out from all over the place
0: and that's also probably managing bands in a different manner than you're used to I just you
1: know- yeah yeah I could working out doing a record's pretty easy but organizing everybody being at one place at the same time uh, airfare and accommodations and all that uh, that's uh, that's more than I want to deal with
0: yeah, I have some friends who are tour managers, and they're just like, it's a hell job. <laughs> just like
1: yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've had like bands that I work with stay with me, and they're tour managers. I just watch them like just trying to get them out the door on time, and it's, <laughs> it's like hurting cats. It, when it comes to mind. It's like not what I would want to do. <laughs>
0: is yeah because i guess uh, recording an album is something exciting and something that they really have to do opposed to touring where at least my experience is touring and being with bands that tour it's kind of an extended party for a lot of them
1: yeah yeah and it just doesn't look like a lot of fun i mean there's a certain sort of person i think that likes doing that like I mean, I worked out, I went with a friend's band just up the West Coast when I was right out of high school, and just that one short trip, I was like, this sucks. Like, <laughs> why would you want to do this? You show up at a club at three in the afternoon and wait around <laughs> until like you play at 10 at night and then like driving home and you car breaks down and you're in a field somewhere (laughs) yeah it's like why yeah i'm not that's not anything i ever wanted to do
0: (laughs) it's it's uh it's incredible more bands don't or maybe they do and we just never hear it seems like they would just break up or punch one another far more often
1: yeah i mean i think I, i know like young musicians that i work with that that are uh they love it. They're doing it all the time. And now with the pandemic, they're really restless. And they're, this is so foreign to them being home this long. But I, I don't understand why they want to do it. <laughs> so
0: I mean, <laughs> at, at 21, it seems... Because uh, I toured with a theater company at 21. And it was like, that was great. Because it was just like, oh, we do a show. We have per diem. So we go get loaded. And hopefully we meet a girl. But nobody really gave a fuck about us (laughs) in in, in, in that regard
1: (laughs) right right yeah it's uh, yeah i know i know there is that like you get to party for free and you do meet girls sometimes and (laughs) and all of that but uh yeah i that's certainly never the life i wanted
0: um and you're i was interested in your early days because i know like you got interested in punk in high school was there that period of time like all of us where we have musical tastes that we'd rather not talk about before you discovered what you're really into
1: um no actually uh i'm the poster child for arrested development as far as that goes because i like all the same stuff i always did i mean i was obsessed with buying records from being a little kid like pre-punk rock and i still have most of that stuff and i still love all that old punk music. In fact, I, I reissued some of it. Um, so yeah, no, I don't, I don't regret any of it. I can't think of anything. I regret. Was there anything, into
0: was there, were you always into punk or was there anything before punk that you worked your way towards it?
1: Oh yeah. I was buying records before there was punk. Um, like I, you know, the Rolling Stones, a lot of sixties music. And then, you know, got really into David Bowie and Sparks and, queen and roxy music all that glam stuff and then punk happened and i got really into that so and all that stuff i i still like i got a room full of vinyl and i have a lot of that same stuff
0: Uh, and orange county was pretty i see i guess i grew up in a pretty non-hip area but orange county had a lot going on back in the 80s didn't it
1: yeah yeah i definitely did um i started going to shows when i was 15 like in the late 70s so i I got to watch it grow, where you know I went from being the youngest guy in the room to like suddenly there was bands my age, and it, it got to be a really big punk scene. Then also got kind of gross. I mean, it got violent, and you know, hardcore came along and kind of ruined it.
0: Oh, really? That's uh, I mean, I, I I mean, it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of times people f- sort of focus on the the more gross aspects of punk than the arty side of punk or maybe am i wrong with that
1: yeah yeah no it definitely is i mean have you ever seen the decline of the western civilization movie?
0: yeah yeah I've...
1: yeah like that like i was around during all of that time and i remember going and seeing it when it came out but i watched it a couple of years ago for the first time in forever and it was like geesh this is <laughs> not aged well with just how kind <laughs> of violent it is and and how yeah it, it it got bad. I mean, but initially it wasn't like that. It was uh, the early punk shows I went to, there weren't a lot of fights and there was, you know, equal parts men and women. It was a very inclusive scene. And then it just kind of got, you know, very jocular and, you know, became more violent and you blessed women at shows. (laughs) Why do you,
0: why do you think it made that turn?
1: I think, the suburban kids got into it, I think uh you know it became popular with kids riding skateboards in Orange County and in the suburbs, and that's you know at that age, I guess you and and you know a lot of these people did have violent tendencies and initially, I think it seemed like the people into punk were like misfits and you know kind of weirdos to begin with, and they were more arty types involved, and then it just became you know kids you know that, that were real athletic and you know, wanted to get their frustration out of a show and wanted to dive off the stage and all of that. That didn't happen at the early shows I went to.
0: Did you hang out at that? What was the infamous club? And I, I'm flaking on it. it. Was I think it was in Long Beach. There's a documentary about that as
1: well. That club. oh, the Cuckoo's Nest yes. in Costa Mesa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I went there all the time. Yeah, because that, that, that was really close. So yeah, went there a bunch, and that that's where you kind of saw the beginning of it. Getting real ugly. Um, I mean, I saw some great stuff there too, but it did eventually over time just become like kind of violent. And you know, you were taking a chance going down onto the dance floor <laughs> while the band was playing, <laughs> catching a fist in the face.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I remember as a kid overhearing guys talking about how, you know, proudly how they clocked somebody or knocked somebody to the floor. And I was like, I never went near a fucking mosh pit in my life because I I got enough punches at home. (laughs) I didn't.
1: didn't. Yeah, yeah. I I, I never did that either. And like the one or two times I like wound up in one, it was like this is not for me. This is like I started going to music shows to get away from (laughs) this kind of aggression, and it wasn't it wasn't anything I wanted. And I've never been somebody that would be good in a fight, so. Yeah, that was. I, I was very lucky, too, that I, I went to the shows all the time and never got beat up badly. And I saw so many people get beat up. And, yeah, that that, that wasn't fun. I look back at that now, and it's like there's great music, but a lot of that, it did get ugly.
0: Did uh, Was there a turn out of that sort of aggressive punk to, where it started going in a different direction that you recall? I, I'm just trying to...
1: Yeah, I can remember at the, in like the early '80s, there was like bands that had been part of the punk scene that were slowly moving away, like growing their hair longer. And like like Red Cross was one I think of. Like those guys are around my age, and they were a punk band early on. And like when things got hardcore, they grew their hair out and you know changed their music a bit. And there was a music scene in LA, like they called the Paisley Underground. It was bands like Dream Syndicate that started tapping more you know 60s styles and they didn't have all the violence at their shows so i remember starting to go see stuff like that instead i mean i still went and saw black flag when they played but even they like evolved out of it grew their hair long and kind of alienated their audience on purpose
0: were there any bands in that era that you saw that were phenomenal that
1: oh yeah a lot um Yeah. Like the first time I saw the cramps, uh, you know, I saw them real early on opening for the runaways and mind blowing, um, LA band called the screamers. I don't know if you've heard of. uh, Yeah.
0: And I know, um, uh, kid Congo talks about them off very often.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He ran their fan club, um, for a while, but they were phenomenal. Like just insane, insanely good. I thought they were going to be huge, but they never made a record. Um, uh x were really good right from day one um i really liked the germs even though they were like a kind of a chaotic mess they were (laughs) i really enjoyed that yeah the weird there were so many good bands the bags with alice bag were incredible
0: and she's still performing and still incredible um are there, were there more bands that, like that that like the Screamers who never recorded that people sort of, that are lost sort of in time that people you feel like people should have known
1: I mean, oh there's I'm sure there's plenty I mean there, there's one band that did a record that never came out until I put it out in the 90s called The Consumers and they were from Phoenix they were the first Phoenix punk band and then they moved to LA and were part of the whole LA early LA punk scene and they had this album recorded that just no one ever put it out. And so I finally did. Um, but I'm sure every town probably had bands like that, that, you know, I don't know if have, that every town had bands as good as the screamers, but like there's probably so many bands that never got documented.
0: Did, how did you, like, how old were the consumers when you reached out to, did you reach out to them and be like, Hey, I want to put this out. And were they just like, what, <laughs> like, how did that go back? Yeah.
1: Sort of. Yeah. I mean, cause they, they'd retired more or less from music. And there was only of the five guys, when I reached out to them, only two of them were left alive. Um, and they were both working for golden voice in Los Angeles, but they, they'd been in bands like Paul Cutler, the guitar player had been, he did 45 grave and he did, he was in dream syndicate, but then he just kind of retired from being, you know, a professional musician and, when I reached out to him, he was just kind of like, yeah, but no one else is asking us to put this thing out (laughs) if you want to. So yeah. And I've kept it in print. It's a great record.
0: Um, when did you start getting the sort of the itch to put stuff out as, as a young, as a young man?
1: Um, I thought about it a lot. Um, and then I finally, like, it it was early nineties, like, Maybe even late '80s. I was thinking about it, and I had friends that had record labels, and I watched my friend John, who did sympathy for the record industry, start his label, and it looked fairly easy. And so I had it kicking around in my mind for you know a year or two that it would be really cool. I kind of always thought it would be really cool to do, but you know when I was younger and I didn't have the money to do it. So when I got a bit older and had means i started thinking about it and just kind of waited until there was a band that i thought like oh here's the one i'll do these guys and so as soon as that kind of came up i i acted on it
0: and it was you your first release was the Gories right
1: yeah they were the first band i approached and that they were the reason like you know if these guys say yes i'm going to start a record label and they said yes <laughs> It, it took them so long To get me the record though Like they they were kind of flaky And sort of in state of breaking up That uh, I wound up putting out A couple of singles ahead of it Just because I had money And was getting antsy But you know They were technically the first band That I approached And they were the whole reason Like you know If I can get the Gories, Then I know my label will be You know I'll have done something pretty cool Because I thought they were amazing
0: Yeah I'm curious about that Like a guy how old were you roughly uh 26 um approaching like having never released anything and then how does that go when you approach a band like hey i've never done this but i would like to do this how do they respond to that
1: um i well back then it was like i didn't there was no email um and i didn't have their phone number but they had an address on their first album that they put out and i just wrote them a letter and uh explained that i you know I wanted to start a label and I put up the money to record a 45 and luckily the guy that wrote me back, Dan Croha, the, the guitar player was like, he was into the idea and he thought it was cool, especially they're out in Detroit and he was like, wow, you're in Fullerton that, that which where, is where I was living at the time. And he's like, you know, that's where Fender guitar comes from. And he thought that was really cool. And so, yeah, that was all it took was writing a letter and, and to ask someone to do a 45 is not like a big commitment it's so yeah it's like yeah we got a couple of songs we can give you that that wasn't a problem
0: was there uh, did that money that you accumulated to put that out was that from uh, working at the Albertsons or did you move on
1: yeah yeah it was from working at a grocery store
0: I worked at the just, the uh, Chicago version of that which would be Jewel and I think they might be, even be owned by the same company but i did because oh, i've read about you talking about how they offered benefits and i'm like there's no fucking way a grocery store would offer benefits like it was a union was yours a union gig
1: it was a union gig yeah so i had to pay union dues but yeah you got you got full medical and dental the, you know, i think about that now that's insane and they also like you, know, you got raises and yeah it was a decent gig and it was part-time um Which was cool because a lot of time I was still going out and seeing bands and whatnot. So I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to be there every single day. What
0: department did you work in?
1: A a few. um, Started off as a box boy, then they promoted me to a checker. Then I was briefly the manager of the liquor department. (laughs) um, That would have been a disaster for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because at the time I didn't drink, I didn't start. Drinking alcohol till like mid late twenties, and so I, I'd be working the liquor department, and people would be asking me about certain wines. (laughs) I'd be like, I don't know, I don't don't touch alcohol, (laughs) (laughs) which probably made it a perfect job for me because I never thought about trying to like boost a case of beer out the back door or anything.
0: Was there? My brother did that because he worked at the same grocery store, and he would just come home with endless steaks. And I was like, "Do you want to keep your job, idiot?" <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I think that happened a lot because I had boss. I probably shouldn't say this, but I yeah, <laughs> had bosses that yeah were helping themselves to things. So yeah, I think that probably happened a lot. And it seems like they write that into the budget at those places. They call it shrink. Right? Oh. It's like the, this stuff we know is either going to get broken or stolen. Cause I mean, yeah, I'd have to unload trucks and there'd be times you're like unloading a pallet of like two liters of Pepsi and it just falls over and half of them are explode. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It was fun. It's like, wow, I had one of the most secure jobs in high school. Isn't that like, I it's like if I wanted to, I could have made that a career. I would have probably, you know, beat my kids and drank myself to death, but I could have made it a career. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I have nightmares about still working there. I don't miss it at all. Like that's, I, yeah, I really didn't like it that much. And it was, it was a drag a lot of the time. It was, it was cool that I, I, I earned decent money and had coverage and they, they gave me some freedom as far as a schedule, but yeah, as far as the work goes, yeah. I didn't. <laughs> working in the public and wearing an apron and, you know, I, I knew I had, I was really, really happy when I, Finally quit there and never went back. And yeah, I still have friends that I've that I met through there that still work in the grocery industry, and I keep up with them on on Facebook. And yeah, I I feel for them. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather not have the benefits. <laughs> work with punk bands.
0: Um, when it was. Did, uh, John was John just sort of an influence or did he help, uh, with sort of, um, teach you any of the ins and outs of the label? Cause he's pretty infamous in that world. Is he not?
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, he's definitely infamous. Um, yeah, he 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 helped me a lot as far as telling me the steps you have to do like once you you know a band sends you their recording here's what you, what you got to do you got to go get it mastered and then the mastering guys then you got to pick a pressing plant and then the pressing plant will you know press the records for you and you got to get sleeves printed and you know so he told me the different steps and um uh, yeah so that was helpful and then then you had to figure out getting them distributed which you know for 20 some years now i've had a distributor that gets my stuff everywhere but back then when i started i had to do it myself and call different people that bought records and then hope that they pay you eventually
0: (laughs) (laughs) did how how difficult is it to find a distributor or at least back then i don't know if it's probably more difficult today or is it would you say it's easier
1: um i don't know i i I have friends that, that are doing like smaller run 7-inch labels now that they don't have a distributor because I don't think distributors will pick up a label that's just doing singles these days. I was really lucky that that they, that I got one back when I did. Um so I am, I think it's probably tougher now and there's probably less of them now. It's a bunch of the big ones that were around when I started are, have gone under. Um so there's just a few and I think they're kind of particular And I got really lucky too early on because uh, I had a couple of artists that worked, that let me do things that like had bigger reputations. Like John Spencer got very popular right when I was working with him and I was doing singles. So like I had something that our distributor wanted. So I, I was super lucky on that front.
0: Yeah, it is. are a lot of the distribution companies, is, is are they sort of run by the bigger labels now? I thought I was reading something about that like a month ago.
1: Um, the one I'm involved with isn't. Um, they're in independent. Um, but there, yeah, I guess there's some that are run by the bigger labels, but I don't know. There's a whole network out there of them that, that have nothing to do with the bigger labels, which is kind of where I've always resided. I, nothing I've done has been you know owned owned by a bigger label
0: was was John Spencer just uh with that him taking off and you having him or uh releasing his work was that just lucky timing or did you was that was he already sort of on his way
1: you know it was lucky timing um i'd been a big fan of his first band pussy galore and uh i met him through another band that i was talking to about doing a seven inch and he happened to be playing in them at the time and told me he had this new band, the blues explosion that hadn't put anything out yet. And, uh, they were getting ready to, and, you know, he wasn't a huge name at the time, but he was definitely known in the underground. And so he offered to let me do single. He knew I was, I was a big fan. And then, uh, You know, as I did that and they got going, they got popular really quick. And so, you know, he kept doing singles with me. And so, you know, every time I was doing one, pressing more and more records of it. And then that was also like a really good calling card for the label. Like, hey, I'm doing John Spencer Blues Explosion records. Do you want to do a record with me? And it made it look like I was kind of a real label when I wasn't. So I wound up getting to do a single with the band Free Kitten, which had Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth. And, you know, I don't think they would have bothered with me if it hadn't been that I was working with John.
0: And was i uh, excuse me, was that a major turning point for, for the label? And did it make things, I, I mean, it seems like it was making things easier to move forward and get to other bands i I mean you kind of said that yeah definitely
1: definitely it's it was a a huge help like all all through the 90s as i got going like it kind of snowballed where you know i was only going to do some 45s and that would be it and then i wound up like getting to do albums and and so yeah it, it kind of grew and i think you know my involvement with john was a lot of it and you know he continued working with me like he produced bands for my label and you know he had side project bands i'd do them and you know, he let me do an archival pussy galore live album that had been recorded um so yeah I, I think that that totally helped the profile of my label back when i was starting
0: did that start getting uh more like people asking to do stuff with your label
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, especially as far as like garage bands go, like once you be, you know, my label became known as like for doing that kind of music, you get bands sending you stuff or hitting you up like, you know, see if you want to do a 45. So. So, yeah, that all the time that uh, you get asked.
0: How uh, I, how do you manage that? Because, I mean, do you do you go through everything that you get or is that even possible at this point?
1: Uh, it's not even possible especially now like people just send you an email with a link to like here's my demo and yeah I I usually there's a girl that works for me now and I'll let her listen to some of them especially if we get mailed to us like let me know (laughs) but (laughs) that's rarely how I've ever found a band that I want to work with It's usually like word of mouth through someone I'm already involved with or somebody I'm already aware of that I want to work with. But yeah, you always get approached. I mean, yeah, and, and I've gotten approached by people that I really wanted to work with. I mean, back in the early 2000s, I got approached by Sparks who had been one of my favorite bands since I was a kid. And they were having trouble finding a U.S. label for the new record they recorded. And so I got to put out an album by them. And that was something, I never would have dreamt possible.
0: How does I don't, I hear that a lot where like bands have trouble and it's like, where they're a highly respected band like sparks and they have trouble finding a label. I'm like, how the f- is, I, I, I obviously have a business disconnect with that sort of thing, but how the fuck does that happen?
1: I, I, it's the same way. As far as sparks goes, that blew my mind. And, and it, the whole time I was working with them, I was like, this just seems wrong. Like they deserve <laughs> so much. Better. Um, and, and, and luckily I think their, their career has been going forever. And there's like an ebb and flow where there's like some years they're really hot. And then some years it it hadn't caught on. And I think America was a tougher audience for them, even though they're an American band, they're always bigger in Europe. And it just happened to be a time where I think, you know, people had not been paying attention since then they've gotten popular again. And, you know, there's a documentary that it just got made by the guy that Shaun of the Dead and Baby Driver just did a documentary about them. It's going to get a theatrical release. And, you know, they're back on a major label now and, you know, drawing way bigger crowds than they were when I was involved with them. But yeah, I just happened to catch them at a downtime. And yeah, I, I'm, I couldn't believe it either. Like how, you know, when I go meet with them, it's like, I'm looking at two rock stars here that... You know i kind of grew up with it's like meeting with david bowie or something and like how is it you have to work with me like there should be you know a major label like throwing you guys up all the cash you want but that's not the way it is anymore
0: uh i knew there was a documentary coming about them but i i didn't know it was edgar wright that's wild i mean
1: that's yeah yeah it's it's really good too i they we streamed it through sundance they, they had a screening and uh yeah, it's really, really good. Um, I'm super proud of those guys for you know doing as well as they are right now because they were really cool to work with, too. Um, that was definitely cool. But yeah, I, I mean, that all started with an email from the singer of Sparks to me like asking <laughs> if I wanted to do the record. So that, that's how random it can be.
0: Did they, do you not in it at all? They didn't come to you?
1: No, no. I I didn't play any kind of... Significant role in their <laughs> there, <50 year career. laughs> but but uh, yeah, it's, it, it was cool to see that it got made. That's a band that really deserved a really good documentary, and it's, uh, they got one. It's, you know he did a really good job.
0: Is there uh, is there a certain aesthetic you apply to the bands you want to work with, or have you had, or are you kind of open to? All genres, or is it very distinct towards a, a punk-like ethic? It, it
1: was, it was pretty distinct to begin with, like because I felt like if starting a label, you want to be known for something because you're kind of creating a brand, I guess. So like, you know, you want people to expect a certain thing, but then after I was doing it for long enough, I feel now like I just do whatever I like. um But it usually is, you know, a, a certain genre, or but, but you know but it varies uh, you know I've done all kinds of different rock bands but I, I've never I wouldn't do a hip hop record I'm doubtful I'd do a jazz <laughs> record <laughs>
0: <laughs> well there goes my uh, new age uh, jazz But <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs>
1: uh, I mean, never say never I mean I, I, I'm wor- about to put out an album by a guy named Chip Kinman who played in the punk band The Dills like one of the early Californian punk bands and he also was in a band called Rank and File in the eighties who kind of created all country and uh he's doing an album for me that does sound like an Eno record. It's all synths, it's all instrumental. It's you know very moody and uh yeah, not at all punk rock. But I mean it's made by a guy who's a punk rocker.
0: (laughs) Um that's close enough. Yeah. yeah. Um with has has streaming affected your label at all or is it because I feel like your label is very heavy vinyl and, and, and whatnot is, is head of affected you at all?
1: Um, I'm sure it has, but I mean, I was kind of in a lucky position where I always did vinyl. And like you said, I think my audience is vinyl centric. So I always did it and then I still do it. and, And remarkably it still sells like it seems to be, more popular than ever. I remember there was a point in the 90s where I was making more CDs than vinyl, but that's not the case anymore, but there's also been bands that I've worked with who started getting really big audiences, but it's like uh we're only still selling around 10,000 records and if this band if I'd had a band this popular in the 90s, we probably would have sold like 50,000. Like so, you know, I think streaming has made it so stuff doesn't sell as much as it did as a physical medium. But, uh, but I'm, yeah, I, I didn't have big hits in the first place. So it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of always chugged along the same.
0: Yeah. It's great. Cause I mean, I talked to Stephanie Luke, the drummer for the coat hangers a couple weeks ago, and she was just saying like, she's like i'm almost 40 we've been at this for 15 years i want health insurance and it's, it's it's like i'm just like fucking blown away that i would consider them a pretty successful band and it's like 15 years and it's like you're still like struggling and it's like it's fucking insane to me
1: yeah yeah no it is it is and it's it's sad because uh only a handful of bands that i've worked with have managed to make a comfortable living at it um to where they can pay all their bills and not not struggle. But for the most part, like, yeah, bands that, yeah, like the coat hangers that you heard of and you think are doing pretty well, like, still probably have to go home and work a day job. It's, uh,
0: yeah, and it it sort of puts it, because I know the, the taboo, or the, I guess it was considered, like, shitty if, if your song made it into a commercial, but now it's like, you know, like, oh, you sold out. That was a very 90s, Sort of approach But now it's like Well that's your rent For a fucking year <laughs> If you could get a- Exactly
1: Yeah no, it's, it, I It's I That never was a problem For me Like I I, I respect if bands Don't want to do that But it, To me it's like You know I heard iggy and the stooges songs and commercials like going back 20 years ago like they're not sellouts so <laughs> I, and it, and i figure if, if in the first place you made music that wasn't commercially conceived then who cares like take the money it's like you know we yeah I, that's paid a lot of bills around here is licensing to commercials and movies and all that like i've, I've gotten really lucky with that
0: yeah R- ryan sambal told me that uh one of the things that wildly impressed him about you is that when they had a song in a commercial, and he said you bought one of the best, like you just bought this great record s- stereo setup, and he was like, he's like, that's the guy you want to make records with because that's what he's gonna go <laughs> and like, he's gonna go and you know get the best record player, and it just like shows how much respect you have for vinyl and music and and in the field that you're in.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that that Strange Boys license we got's the biggest one I was ever involved in, and that was, yeah, that was the first thing I thought of. It was like, <laughs> I, I've got this kind of a windfall, like, I want to get the stereo I've never had that, you know, that that I've always wanted. I work in music, I should have, like, a really kick-ass stereo.
0: That's, uh actually, that is, since he told me that story, it's been in the back of my head, because I'm like, if I get that, I'm going to find Larry and ask him what he got. Cause I want it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause I based what I got on and I had it in my head forever. Cause I, I read this article written by Henry Rollins and he's like an audiophile and is really serious about his music listening. And so he was like, I read this article where he's like, yeah, I got a pair of Wilson Sophia threes. That's those are my speakers. They're, they're incredible. And I immediately Googled it and, they're the cool, you should look them up. They're really cool looking. They look like little robots. Um, and so I was always like, man, someday I want, I want a pair of those in this house. And so that's what I got. When, when once, once I got that money.
0: Um, how did you, how did you come across the strange boys? Cause I met them at, I think the first or second FYF fest we did, uh, we did a show together at KXLU and they were like, Fucking I don't Teenagers Like they seemed like kids And I was Yeah
1: They They looked like kids too
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then when I heard them play I was just like What the fuck is happening
1: Yeah yeah They were They were amazing The first few times I saw them Um, And yeah I just had bands on my label Telling me about them And uh, And I think like Stacy who worked at Auntie Hems Had told me about them She saw them And really like them and uh so yeah i finally went to see him uh, my this guy that used to record for me jay retard who's sadly passed away like he had them on tour with him and so i went down to orange county to see him and he told me like yeah they want to talk to you about doing a record and i saw them and was like immediately like yes sign me up i wanted to work with you guys
0: yeah the, I, I was just and uh i dan Aide was telling me because i'm sure you know dan and he he was in the broken West and he was just like their reference level of what they were referencing musically. He was like, this is some vague sixties garage stuff that, and I was imp- blown away by that as well. Cause I was like, how did it took me years to find that stuff. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. Yeah. No, they, they definitely seem wise beyond their years as far as their musical taste. Um, I guess with the internet, I mean, cause I've so many young bands I've worked with where it's like, they know more about obscure sixties music than me. and I've been listening to it for, you know, 40 years and hunting this stuff down. But like, yeah, I guess it's, there's easier access to it now.
0: Is that what you live for as a, as a label owner is like finding band, like that moment where you see somebody and there's like that spark? that sort of magical thing where you're like, I got to fucking work with these guys.
1: Oh, that's great when it happens. Um, it's, it, there's ebb and flow in that too. For a while there, it seemed like there were a lot of new bands coming around that I was getting really blown away by. And currently I'm not seeing as many new bands that, 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 that do that for me. Um, I'm sure that'll change, but um, yeah, when it does happen, that's it's incredible. Uh, what yeah, is- <laughs> the, the strange boys is definitely one that sparks in my mind. Like I could not believe my eyes and ears when I, the first time I saw them because, like you said, they they were really young as it was, but they look younger than they were. So they look like little kids, so much so that when I I took them out to eat at Auntie M's. I felt kind of creepy at this. Who's <laughs> this, this guy dining with a bunch of teenagers.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Tim Presley said the same thing that he, the first time he heard him, they were unloading. He was like, I dropped my stuff and went and watched them and like pissed off the rest of the band because I was watching them. <laughs> um, what is what is something that like uh, draws you towards a band like that? And 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 on the flip of that, what is what are the sort of things you're seeing now without sort of naming anybody? I guess like that that doesn't appeal to you. Um, well, pretty much is if I like a band, then
1: you know that if it appeals to my taste, which I I know is very specific, um, you know, then that's exciting to me, and you know that's pretty much all it takes. As far as if I want to work with somebody is if I just like what they're doing. Um, and boy, I could go on and on about what I don't like, Uh, (laughs) but yeah, it's just, it's pretty much just all dictated by my taste. I mean, you know, if, 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 if it's something I like and, you know, which is usually noisy, aggressive rock and roll, um, but not always. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 it just varies. Um, there's no specific sort of formula to it.
0: Do you feel like, cause I, and I would say you know more about this than I do, but uh, you know, usually at the big top of a decade, something shifts and then something new comes in and that sort of defines the decade. Do you feel like we're in that period now before we sort of,
1: get that i do i mean because that's that i yeah when i started in the early 90s there was definitely the grunge and post grunge thing was happening which definitely helped labels like mine because like garage got swept up in that but you had the whole sub pop thing and then as that petered out i remember it was like oh guitar music is dead now and it's all you know electronic and hip-hop and that's all that matters and then then you had the white stripes and the hives and the strokes come along and it's like oh rock and rolls cool again and that also helped my label cuz you know the white stripes were from detroit and i had detroit bands on my label who were affiliated with them and so that was a boost and then you know that sort of has seemed to peter out you know and i think you know definitely bands around now that are playing guitar that are great and have a following like Ty Siegel, who I do records with, you know, it does really well and the OCs are doing really well, but there's no real scene around them. And I feel like, yeah, we're at at an ebb and there'll probably be something else that happens. That's going to make it all, you know, revive it again.
0: Yeah. I saw around that period that you were talking about where it was petering out, I saw an article that was like, the guitar is dead. And I was like, really? <laughs> it was like,
1: yeah. I, I remember that so distinctly in the nineties where it was like, I was reading reviews that were like, you know, this will probably be the last guitar band we ever write about here. And it's just like, really? Why? It's, it's an <laughs> instrument that's been around forever. It's not right about them anymore. It seems like- <laughs> But yeah, I've seen so I've seen rock and roll music pronounced dead like twice since I've been running this label, and you know it kind of feels like it. You can always look at the the live acts on SNL to tell what's going on. <laughs> if you look at them now, like yeah, there there's very few guitars, and it's mostly terrible stuff. But um, it, it feels like we're we're getting ready to have something come along that will kick things in the butt. It, yeah. Hopefully I- the- a guitar band, I don't know, it might not be, but something's going to happen.
0: I feel like I see a lot of rumblings of... Or maybe not even... It's not even rumblings, but post-punk seems to have... Or the, at least that's what they're labeling a lot of these bands I seek that are, I guess, to... I mean, could you call... Idols post punk. I don't. I don't. I haven't followed them too closely. But there's yeah, still... I
1: haven't followed them very closely. But yeah, I would. Yeah. Post punk is definitely uh, seems more influential now than punk music, uh, as far as on younger, newer bands. But even that's gotten old. I mean, there's you know, bands influenced by post punk. You know, that's I don't know. That seems kind of played out as well. <laughs> I don't know what's what could possibly happen next, but I'm sure something will. And I'm sure it'll be something that already sounds familiar. It's I mean, the white stripes and the strokes didn't sound, you know, like anything I hadn't heard before, but they put their spin on it and just caught the imagination of people at the right time. So it'll all be about timing, but hope whatever it is I like it. <laughs> There's a good chance I won't. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm always amazed when like a band like The Strokes break and people are like rock and roll's back. I'm like, have you been like if you just did a little bit of search, you could find some stuff that's also out there that's similar and maybe better.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, when the White Stripes happened and I was you know, it was like sh- They'd approached me at one point, like to to put out something, and I was just like, huh, another two piece with playing blues based. You know, I've already done a bunch of these. <laughs> it, it seemed like that, yeah, it was already played out, and of course, like they want to be in the band that made it huge. But yeah, I mean, it, I'm sure. I'm sure the next big thing that comes along will probably be the same thing where people will be claiming like, they revived rock and roll and be like, where were you the last 10 years? I'm <laughs> putting out all these records.
0: When you miss something like, uh, putting out the white stripes, do you, do you ponder that or, or do you just go fuck it and move forward?
1: No, no, I don't put, you can't worry about stuff like that. I have no regrets. Um, uh, you yeah. yeah you just got you have to move forward
0: um how because I was talking with Kid Congo as you know and we talked in length about his uh memoir that you're putting out and I was curious like what made you decide to move towards publishing and is and is that something that you're going to continue to keep doing
1: I yeah I don't know um it was on a basically on a whim because he'd been working on the book for a long time well for First of all, I'm a massive fan of Kid Congo. Like, like he was a rock star in my eyes and I was super stoked to start working with him. Um, and so I knew he was working on this book and like, you know, look at this, the track record of bands he's been in. Like, you know, Gun, Cramps are one of my favorite bands ever. And and when he was in them, I thought that was like their coolest period or my favorite period of them. And uh, Gun Club, amazing. And, and so I was, when he was talking about this book and I, I think he'd approach some people and that weren't interested in doing it. And I thought, well, if someone's going to do it, they're probably going to do it cheaply. And it pr- there should be a lot of photos in it. Cause like cramps you know, were a photogenic band and he's a photogenic guy and gun club looked cool. Like I, I wanted, I wanted it to be the book I would want to see. And I figured like the only way that's going to happen is if I do it, cause I I'd put money in it and, you know, treat it the way I think it deserves to be treated. Whereas I don't think, other publishers would see it that way. They'd be trying to do it so it makes them the most money. Um, so then I just volunteered and he, he said yes. So, but I, I can't think of any other books I want to do, but maybe once I get a book out, then it's going to be like records where, oh, I guess I'm doing this now. I know John of Sympathy has done a bunch of books. So.
0: Yeah, I know yeah. Sub Pop for a while was looking to do something because I don't know if you know Danny Bland, but he's a, uh author and he's also a tour manager and he played in a bunch of early 90s bands and he was going to help them start this publishing arm, but I guess it never happened. <laughs> huh.
1: But, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, it seemed like Sub Pop would be able to do it easily. Um, I know that one of the Sub Pop founders, Bruce Pavitt, just put out a book or I guess it's been out for a little while of photos like the first Nirvana Mudhoney tour, but, uh, I don't know the sub pop put it out. Um, but yeah, I'm about to find out how easy it is to make a book. <laughs> I mean, actually for the last couple of years, I guess it's been about two years now we've been, we've been fulfilling all of Henry Rollins, uh, merchandise here out of our office and, we're the sole distributors of his books, uh, his recent books. And so I know we can, we can move a few thousand books just here out of this office. So I'm hoping that's how it will go with kid Congo's book too. Like my distributor will sell them, but I, I've got a feeling that we'll be selling a lot of them just direct.
0: Um, Jesus Christ. Are you, how long are your days? It seems like you, you, he, <laughs> it's like, <laughs>
1: Uh, they're all kind of bleeding into one another the last year, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, at least I got stuff to do. (laughs) It's, you know, with, with everything shutting down a year ago, I was kind of wondering like, huh, people even going to, everyone's losing their jobs and there's a pandemic. Are people going to want to bother buying records and books anymore? But like, We've been selling a lot of mail order, so that's kind of been my days this past year. Is like get up and start packing, packing orders, and yeah. I, it to the podcast.
0: I've been buying more records than ever during the pandemic, and and Permanent Records does that dangerous thing where they put shit out on their. um, instagram feed so it becomes like gambling to see if you could like i've been buying records i'm like i don't even i'd buy it like and you dip you put dibs on it and you see if you can get it first and it becomes like slot machines because i'm just refreshing and then buying (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like i gotta stop like i'm i just get like obsessed with seeing if i could get it and sometimes i'm like i don't even need this
1: yeah yeah no that's ebay was like that at first too where it's just like I would pay way more than I normally would for a record. Cause it's like, wait, someone just outbid me. That's my record. Like, now, <laughs> now I got blood in my eye for this thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I'm super glad people are still buying records during this. And, and yeah, everyone I know who does what I do is saying like, wow, mail order really went up during this. So, so I'm grateful for that because you know, my distributor had to close for four months and yeah, I was wondering like, what? Well, how dead is this going to be? But it's, it's gone well. And Henry's been selling a lot of books and packing them every day.
0: Yeah. I've been trying to, with the, the this podcast, re- re- tell people that they need to be buying stuff right now, because if you like a band, you have to support like, cause I know it sounds corny, but it's like, I'm worried about the bands I <laughs> like because it's like they can't make money. Yeah. And it's like, that's the only way they can make money is like buy the shit.
1: Exactly. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm in the same boat. I'm always buying stuff on Bandcamp directly from the bands and buying direct from labels. But that, I'm worried too. You know, so many of my friends can't work. And, you know, I I put out their records, but they're not going to make their living off the sales of you know two thousand records. It's like they have to go out and work, and they can't do that. Yeah, I, it, uh, it's concerning.
0: Is this enter into when you sign a band uh, any of the sort of like because you said the cramps were like very photogenic does do you enter into those things or does it all just go to the back
1: to the sound for you it goes back to the sound for me i never i mean it's a plus if you uh, get a band and it's like oh that's so cool <laughs> but, you know it's wow you, this will that does help <laughs> but um <laughs> definitely not necessary in my book i've put out bands that are not photogenic at all and and, and love them
0: <laughs> um and I don't know if, and if this is not something that, because uh, I don't do salacious things on this podcast, I, that, but I once heard a tale that King Khan stayed at your place, and you said you could stay here, but no parties, and I think he had a week long party. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I was, yeah, I was on vacation, and uh yeah, of course, it was entirely my fault because if you know King kong this isn't a guy you let stay at your house <laughs> while you're not there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, during that time, like, yeah, I guess the Black Lips played, and he had like half of the audience come back over here and party with the band, and. uh you know, he did photo shoots naked in my bathtub <laughs> and um, conducted an interview with like European MTV in my backyard in his underwear, claiming it was his house. <laughs> 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 and I found odd stains on my bedroom wall that I just hope, <laughs> I don't know what they are, but I, I'm, yeah, I hope I never find out.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's uh, Ryan Sambal said, uh, Cause I asked him about that, like just in conversation. He was like, "Ah, King Khan is uh, parties as well as he apologizes." Was his line? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, he's 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 a good buddy. He's still, uh, yeah, he's like not someone <laughs> you wouldn't loan him your car. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> is there were the, has that sort of situation happened before? Cause I know the um, black lips are pretty notorious as
1: well. They're actually really good house guests. In fact, I was told, you know, back at the time that this happened, um, my friend Jimmy hole was living in the back house. So he was there for it. And so he kind of <laughs> kept an eye on it, but, but he said if it was not for the black lips, your house would have been left in really bad condition. They were actually cleaning up and picking up empty beer cans and being very respectful. Um, so they, 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 weren't bad house guests. Um, most, God, every band used to stay with me until I got married. Um, and yeah, most of them were really good house guests. Even people you would think would be like wild men like Jay retard were pretty well-behaved.
0: Um, <clears throat> is there any uh, releases that you have coming up that you're excited about that you wish to share?
1: uh yeah the next thing i'm putting out i'm super excited about it's this australian band the scientists i don't know if you're familiar with them they've been around since the early 80s and they were one of my very favorite bands and they they split up in the late 80s and they just got back together in recent years and did their first ever u.s tour a couple years ago and i put out a couple singles but i'm doing their first full length which is like since 1986 and i'm super excited about that because they're like legendary to me and I, i'm just really stoked i'm the label that gets to do that because you know, when i started the label if you would have told me i was going to get to work with them, i wouldn't have believed it mm-hmm. um and then i have a record coming out in july with alan vega i'm the singer of suicide um who sadly passed away but um he did a recording session with uh, guitar player Ben Vaughn and drummer Paul Myra Del Ran and a girl named Barbed Wire on Synthesizer. And it was like his last recording session with a full band because most of this stuff was electronic. And so I'm putting that out and that's I'm super pumped about that. And then I've been doing singles with uh, the co-release with Henry Rollins imprint, Two We've been doing these real limited record store day releases. And like we've already done like pure hell and gun club, the ruts, Alan Vega. And we've got a few things lined up that I'm really excited about. Like, cause he's a great A and R man. No one says no to him. So <laughs> <laughs> there's something we want. We, we usually get it, but we got some cool things coming up. So, so yeah, I got, I got some stuff I'm excited about for sure. And kid Congo's book. I'm, very excited about.
0: Yeah. I'm very, I'm looking forward to that. I pretty much. It's a great read.
1: read. I've already read it. It's, it's really cool.
0: Yeah. I've read some like articles he's written and, and he's, he's, he's a great writer. I,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. He's got good stories to tell. He was around for like the coolest, you know, he was hanging out at Rodney's English Disco during the glam era. And then he was right there when punk started. And then of course, you know, he's in the cramps and Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds and hanging around with the fall. Like he kind of like <laughs> gotten all the coolest scenes at the right time. Um well,
0: thank you very much, Larry. I really appreciate your time and I had a blast listening to you. So I, I
1: sure you. sure. Thanks for thanks for asking.
0: Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show. On your iTunes or what have you, not and tell your friends about the show, that would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the mattdwire.com or conversations with Dwyer at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.